0: This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. What a good day in the house of the Lord, right? Uh, uh, I know that some, some were averted by forecasts of weather this morning, but I'm glad that you made it. I'm trusting that they're online this morning, uh, the blessings of of. Uh, having a camera in the room that, pay, that takes it home to people. Uh, we would rather have you in the house. Can I, ha, how many love it in the house? Yes. Right? It's be- I, I always find so much more. Uh, I, I can hear, learn about God, but I get community when I'm here. And there's something so valuable and so vital of that. Uh, Today, I want to remind you about a giving opportunity, our South Campus uh, speaker system that we're in the process of of raising money for. And uh, we are at a ride around $2,000, and we're still needing about another four. So if you haven't given yet, we would love for you to participate, love for you to help us out that way. Uh, Sound over there is getting balanced, and it's getting better. It was much better than it's ever been. And uh, so we're still in the process of working out all the glitches. I want to remind you, uh, held by design, ladies. Everyone say held by design. Hell by Design. Ladies, you need to sign up. You need to register. What an amazing event. What a lot of effort and time has gone into this event. If you're saying, I can't get away, uh, you need to change your priorities. Can I just say that? I'm going to be that bold and gut level with you. You, There's going to be such an amazing worship experience with Sarah and Blake as they come and lead lead worship that day, but also an anointed, powerful woman of God is going to come and bring the word Debbie Lambray, who is a representative from Northwest University here in Oregon. Uh, But man, if you want someone to preach the word and to to touch your heart, she is someone that will do so. Uh, Not because she's anything, but because she allows God to be everything. And the anointing is upon her life. And so we just encourage you to be there. If you have questions about that, see Pastor Rhonda. Uh, if you're on the committee, raise your hand so people can look around. On the committee for women, there you go. Find someone with their hand raised, and you can go talk to them and ask questions. Um, but exciting. What an opportunity. Uh, love where you live. Love where you live. Will you turn to your neighbor and say, I love where I live because you live here too? Right? How, how, many, make, how, how, many, how many realize... That in the process of life, you love where you live, not just because of what, what it has to offer, but because of who it has to offer, right? It's about people, and uh, uh, what it, I should have probably saved that for our next phase because we're not there yet. Well, ex- except we're family, you know, is there, that's important. Um, but we started off this series of loving where you live with this question that uh, uh, can haunt us, can comfort us, can challenge us, I'm not sure which one it's going to be, but what would happen... The potential, what would happen if each of us truly loved where we lived? What would happen if we were to allow God to work in our hearts and to shape our lives and to shape our character, to be like his, that we would truly love the city of Salem, we would truly love our homes, we would love our work just the way that God loves them? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the concept of how God loves people you know, I think about that, that, that scripture that I prayed earlier for, while we were yet sinners. How many of us put boundaries on our love for people until their behavior changes? Anybody out there? That's a human flaw, is it not? God's, God's, God's love is a love that goes, no, while you are, I'm still going to. And uh, we're going to hear a little more about that this morning. But we've been walking through this journey of Four phases based on Acts 1.8. But you uh, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've been walking through four phases. We've finished phase one, the personal transformation, this personal phase of that if, it doesn't, if you do not change, you're not going to have an impact on anybody else to change. If you do not change, God's wanting to change your heart and your life and your perspectives first. Phase number two, which we began last week, is our home transformation. That it's not just about you, it's about what you take home in your life, as well as our circle transformation of our friends and our, our neighborhoods and our work and our school and all those things, which eventually leads to phase number four the city transformation. Today, uh, or last week, excuse me, we, we stepped into the series of home and we talked about this concept of that me is going to impact my. That me, how I live, how my life has been transformed is going to also impact how my family is or those things that I, that I impact and, and, and or influence. Joshua, when we looked at him last week, basically that your home is shaped by your decisions. Your home is shaped by your decisions, and we looked at five decisions that Joshua made, and uh, the decision to, to remember, to remember who God was, a decision to serve God, to honor God, to love God, to obey God, a decision to discard other gods, to discard other um, <clears throat> things that, that would hinder us in our lives, a decision to commit, to make a commitment. Don't, stand on the, don't sit on the fence, make a commitment, and then finally, a decision to declare what it is that you're going to do. Today, I want to continue on in this series. And what I realize as I prepared this week, what I, I, I love my family. I love the power of family. Uh, but if you've not had the honor to be able to speak about family, but also the humbleness to speak about family. Because I realize that as I stand up here and I try to bring instruction on family, I have broken every single point that I'm going to teach. I don't come based upon perfection. Anybody, any parent out there that's perfect? Any husband and wife out there that's perfect? If so, you need to take my spot so I can learn from you. But I don't come preaching what Kevin is. I come preaching the truth of God. The Word of God, regardless of whether we measure up to it. Isn't that week after week after week, what we have to do is come and go, God, I'm not good at this. I fail. I'm flawed. But that's where God's grace and mercy comes in. So today, I want to uh, preach again on the family. The family is a megaphone. The family is a megaphone. You made me go, what is a megaphone? I was going to bring one up here and show you. But rather than a microphone, a megaphone's more mobile, right? A megaphone is one of those things that we can blast out there. But I uh, want you to, the title of my message is, Check, check, is this thing on? Anybody ever do that? You know, have you seen someone in a, in a, in a, auditorium, check, check, is this, is this thing on? And all the while it's going, ah, and the sound people are in the back going, what are you doing? You're damaging my microphone. But we have to realize the power and the influence and the impact of our homes. God has put a megaphone in each of our hands that is always on. When we talk about family, when we talk about home, It's not just a megaphone to those that are occupying the house that we live in. It's a megaphone that is occupying every facet of our life. It's a megaphone that we carry with us. It's a loud system that declares who and what you are. It's a mess, whether it's a message, whether it's an emergency broadcast, whether it's just life communication, whether it's to give direction. Your life, your home, your family is a megaphone. It's declaring something. The four four walls of your home create a speaker that broadcasts its contents to the world. It reverberates who you are and what you stand for. The family is a megaphone. Every single... Every single facet of it, every single date night, every single movie night, every single family dinner, vacation, outing, ballet practice, basketball practice, whatever it might be, it is all part of the custom-built speaker system that God has placed you in. Can I tell you today, we can come back and go, well, homes are homes. No, your home is unique. My home is unique. The walls that are there are all producing, the, are all reverberating what we are, but there's a uniqueness that comes from each of our lives. What I've found is that in the process of family, it oftentimes becomes familiar and becomes mundane, and we lose the value or lose the urgency of what it is. Currently, there's a free fall of morals in our nation. There's a storm that's raging in culture or against culture, against education, against government. But ultimately, can I tell you this morning, it's raging against you and your home. It's raging against your teenagers and your children. It's raging against you. The standards that were once held dear are no longer upheld or valued. Do you see that tension in our culture today? In America, studies have revealed that The acts of God, tornadoes, snowstorms, hailstorms, earthquakes, hurricanes, flooding, all these things have damaged one out of ten homes in 2021. One out of ten homes. Over 14 million homes were damaged due to extreme weather with a price tag of 56.9 billion dollars. These are physical storms that demolish the home, that demolish the physical aspect of the home. But today, I don't want to just talk about the physical aspect of the home. I want to talk about the family. What about the emotional damage that comes? What about the relational damage that comes? What about the the circumstances of life that are beyond our control? A member that's stricken with cancer, a medical emergency, a sudden death, an affair, a child dying, a spouse dying, a financial crisis. How much damage is taking place in our homes because of misguided values and not prioritizing God? Today, we can step back and we can be amazed that $56.9 billion was spent on fixing homes, but how much reality, how much has been spent on counseling and behavior modification and medication as a result of the damage that takes place in our homes. The culture wars against your family, the natural calamities against, that impact your family, the family crises that all rock all the relationships are rocking the very foundation of who we are. But you know, this is what I love about God and God's Word. God speaks to all of those things. Jesus comes and he gives a parable and he reveals how a life can survive the storms of life, how a family can survive the storms of life. And what I've realized is that it takes a storm to reveal what a house is built on, it takes a storm. To reveal what you are and who you are. It takes a storm to go, are we stable? Are we strong? What is my foundation? A couple years back, we had a storm in our home. A storm of cancer. A storm that was unexpected. And I can tell you, it did not break us. It revealed what was broken. It did not crack our foundation. It revealed the cracks that were in the foundation. And today, Ron and I, we did not walk away from God. We did not walk away in our faith. But can I tell you, there were moments the cracks were revealed and we realized we have to fix the crack. God, we need you to come. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, everyone who hears, everyone say hears. Hears. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, everyone say does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. It had been built and founded upon the rock. goes on, and he says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Today we have to step back and we have to evaluate us and our homes. We have to evaluate our hearts and our families. We have to evaluate going, "No, am I built on? Where are the cracks? Where are the crevices? What is wrong? Is there dry rot? Is there something that needs to be taken care of? God wants our homes, our marriages and our families to be built on the rock, to be built on the rock, not on the sand. Many theologians believe that Jesus based this parable on Psalms 128. As I did the research and as I began to look, there's a correlation between these two chapters, and I'm going to kind of come back to Psalms 128 here to give us a platform, and then I'm going to just jump because what a large topic the family is. It's a series, that, or it's a series in itself that we could preach this sermon for five weeks But in a day of confusion, a day of distortion, when people and culture are basing decisions and lifestyle on their feelings, God wants to call us back to His Word. God wants to call us back to the foundation. God wants to call us back to what is solid. I'm going to read a little bit out of Psalms 127 and mostly out of Psalms 128, but these these two chapters, I want you to hear this, were were not written in sequence. When you and I look at 127, 128, 129, we're going, oh, well, this is just happening simultaneously. In time and place, they were not written in sequence and they were not written by the same person. 127 was written by Solomon and 128 says anonymous. They don't know who it is. But I want you to hear the context of how these chapters, a portion of these chapters, connect. Psalms 127, verse 1, it says, Unless the Lord Builds the house. The builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Chapter 128 contrasts this concept and he says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord. Who walk in obedience to him, you will eat the fruit of your labor, blessings, and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around the table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace beyond Israel. Psalms 127 comes and it points out, it warns this part of life and family that works in vain without God in it. As we look at our culture today, as you look at your own home today, have there been things in your life that you have built without God? Are there things that you have pursued that you know that you're just going, God, would you bless my efforts rather than, God, what are you doing that I can get get in, in step with what you're doing? Isn't that what we do oftentimes? God, would you bless my efforts? And basically with all, what Solomon is saying in 127, he says, unless the Lord is there, the builder is working in uselessness. There's no value. There's no power. It's all in vain. You can rise up early. You can go to bed early. You can stay up late. You can toil for food. You can provide everything. You can work hard at your job, and you can bring everything that you need to the table to go, no, look at how blessed you are. I've blessed you with the job I've given. I've been that I have. But unless the Lord everyone say it unless the, unless the Lord Unless the Lord is in the middle of it, it's all in vain. It's uselessness. We go to the contrast here in verse 28 and it comes and it celebrates that life, family and work are blessed when you live for God. A life without God and a life with God. Many of us want to live our lives according to what we want, but we want the blessings of God. And the reality is, is they don't go hand in hand. If you look in your Bibles, you're going to see underneath the chapter that these are that Psalms 127 and 128 are songs of ascension. Songs that they would sing as they would travel to the feasts. And there was not just these two, but there was multiple of them. And so every time the Israelites would go up to a feast, three primary, one, three primary ones, that they, as they're going, they're singing. They're singing in a congregation of, of traveling. And what I want you to realize that this, uh, what, what, what kind of hits me is that Jesus and his disciples were what? They were Jews. And they would travel to the feasts. And not only was it just the Israelites that were singing them, but can I tell you that Jesus and his disciples were singing these songs of ascension? They were singing as unto the Lord as they were walking down the road to celebrate. Jesus understood the power of the family. Jesus understood the value of doing it the way, he, the way God had instructed. We have heard the statement saying, as goes the family, so goes the nation. We can look at the history of evidence of countries that have collapsed because of the family that has fallen apart. The family is a powerful thing. It's powerful in a positive sense, meaning that a healthy, godly home is a force for good. God's plan for your life and for your home life would be a place of ministry, a source of blessing, a source and a place of redemption a place of salvation, a place of forgiveness, a source of life, not just to those who are in it, but can I tell you that it was intended to go outside of your home, but just like it is a powerful thing for the positive, and some of you are stepping into the positive this morning. Today, you are first-generation Christians. What an amazing, amazing concept. Today, you are here and you're going, no, I am building my life upon the rock. I'm establishing my family upon the rock. I'm going to endeavor to do... You're changing history for your family. But not only is it a powerful thing because of the positive, but it's also a powerful influence based on calamities. Calamities. Potential for something to go wrong. The families of our nation are under attack. The enemy knows the power of a healthy, God-honoring home. Why is it that your family is under attack? Why is it your family is a target many times? Your marriage, your kids, your purity, your addictions, your divorce, your compromise, your distractions... Because of a fallen world and the attack of the enemy, the home, life, can be a source of misery instead of blessing. It can be a home that's filled with pain, shame, and regret rather than salvation and redemption. I don't know your background. I don't know where you've come from. I can share my tragedy and calamity, but I can also share the positive of what God has done. How many can have a, have a mixture of, of calamity but positive, have, a, have this process that God has been there and He's worked in your life? So on one hand, we have blessing and fulfillment and purpose. On the other hand, we have destruction. And we have to ask ourselves this question this morning, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? Is it your good looks and charm? Is it the job that you have? Is it the house that you build? Is it the furniture that's in the house? Is it the activities you can take your kids on? As we see in this passage of Scripture in Psalms 128, the answer is the fear of the Lord. Before I get to my points, I want to give you the foundation. The answer is the fear of the Lord. The foundation of this house is the rock, and that rock is fearing God. That rock is understanding that God is sovereign, and God is holy, and God is just. Psalms 128 says this, Blessed are all, everyone say all, who fear the Lord. Bless are all who fear the Lord. There's so much confusion when we think about fears, and probably all of us in this room have different types of fears, good fears and positive fears, are the the, the, good fears and bad fears, good, good and positive. There we go. The opposites, good and bad. I can focus on the bad fears in my life. I hate snakes. I hate rodents. I don't like heights. I, there's certain things that I, there's a fear of. I do not like them. But when we talk about this concept of a good fear, the Bible talks about it as being a holy fear. There's a difference between a holy fear and a spirit of fear. Can I tell you in our culture today, there's a lot of people that are living by a spirit of fear, of what calamity could come, of what society will do, and there's a place of holy fear that finds security and foundation and and, and wholeness. We try to dismiss being scared of God, but whenever we, you see an encounter with God in the Bible, when John comes and falls at his feet as in dead, and Jesus says, Don't fear. Get up. Come on. There's a place of fear. There's a place of dread. There's a place of something that is so much bigger than us. When we approach God, we can abro- approach Him like a kitten, but we see the power of a lion. We see this power that is there that He could consume us in a moment. The Bible says he's an all-consuming fire. The Bible says he's a jealous God. It isn't just about being scared because God is not just holy. God is also loving and God is kind and God is filled with grace. Billy Graham talks about the fear of God, talked about the fear of God, and he said we should be scared of him, but we don't have to be afraid of him. There should be something in us That stirs when we approach the presence of God. Something that should cause us to shudder out of His holiness and recognize our failings, but it should not keep us away from Him. Billy Graham goes on with this definition. He says, The fear of God is to be so in awe of Him that you desperately want to please Him. What an amazing, powerful definition. The fear of God is is to be so in awe of him that you desperately want to please him. Check, check, is this thing on? I want to ask you a question this morning. What would happen if someone were to approach you and say, we want to do a play about every facet of your family? We want to do a reality TV show, and we want to follow you around every moment. There's going to be cameras in your house in every room. It's going to reveal the good. It's going to reveal the bad, and it's going to reveal the ugly. And I don't know about you, but all of us, if you're not able to admit it, I'll admit it for you, all of us have a little bit of ugly in our homes. Why? Because all of us have a little bit of ugly in us. When we think about this concept of the family and the stage and the drama, your family is a megaphone. There are characters that are involved in this idea when we think about a family and when we talk about, first of all, marriage is God, the husband and the wife. If it's a godly home, you're going to have three in the middle of all this. To make it a family, you have children. But this platform, this stage all begins when when, when the preacher says, I now pronounce you man and wife. It all begins when a husband and a wife say, I do. And the reality is this, is that we have to remember and realize that God designed your marriage to be a megaphone. Your marriage was designed to declare something. And many times we get this megaphone in our lives, in our hands, as we stand and say, I do, and all of a sudden we're going, what are we supposed to say? I'm so in love with you. What are we supposed to say? Can I tell you what every marriage is supposed to be declaring? The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the living color of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Repeat, grace and mercy and forgiveness. Repeat, the next day, grace and mercy and forgiveness. And sometimes a hundred times a day, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5 says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery. Paul is talking about a physical relationship, and then he automatically changes it to a spiritual thing. He says, but I'm now talking about Christ and the church. When we think about this concept of marriage, God did not just create marriage for you to be happy and satisfied in a sexual relationship and do whatever you want to do. He says, the two shall become one to reflect him that this process of the two becoming one, that you're reflecting Christ and the church, it's a living example of a sermon that is being preached every single day of your marriage. That's why it's so important. That's why God's Word is so strong on picking the right spouse, picking the right person, not based upon good looks and charm, not based upon money and popularity, but based upon a foundation, do they love and fear God? People often tend to look at their feelings. Solomon's mom told, Prover- or told Solomon in Proverbs 31.30, says charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Solomon's mom is coming back and how many how 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 often do we see Solomon listen to those words, right? Was well, going, "God, I found or, mom, I found 700 of them." But the problem was none of them feared the Lord. Do you need to hear me this morning? Solomon's problem was not that he was deceived by all those things, but he served. found someone that did not love God. Your family is a megaphone. Today I want to give you five points. When we talk about this idea of a family, the characters or the the, the people on this platform, number one, we each have a role. We live in a culture of role confusion. Confusion of male and female, confused pronouns, confused behaviors, confused attractions, confused outcomes. And can I tell you this morning, we have to go back to the Creator of how we were created. For in your mother's womb, you were designed and you were fashioned. In the beginning, God created male and He created female. There is a role that, that it has to be fulfilled. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes on to say, he says, the role that you are to fulfill, husbands, you are to love your wives. Husbands, say it with me, love my wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, and wives must respect her husband. Every, wives, everyone say it with me, wives, respect my husband. I guess that kind of <laughs> we're going to move on. husband your job is to love your wife your number one calling is to love your wife your number one purpose on this planet yes is to love God but behind God is to love your wife and Paul is very descriptive on how he says to love your wife it says to lay down your life for her He gave himself up for her. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that that you come back and go, well, she's unlovable. You don't know what my wife is. I'm going to tell you, come back and go, God says, love your wife. Love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. Love is not a feeling. Love is an act of obedience. Wife, your job is to respect and to submit to your husband. Like the church respects and submits to Christ, your job is to honor and respect. Can I tell you that respect is not an emotion? Respect is a lens that you look through. It's a lens that you have to evaluate to go, what is good, and I'm gonna focus on the good. Can I tell you that all of us, as we step back into our marriage, as we are, as we live together, as we enjoy one another, as we don't enjoy one another, and what all the things are, we're gonna see the good, bad, and the ugly. And we have a choice. When I get up in the morning, I have a choice to go, I am going to love my wife today. She has a choice, I am going to respect my husband today. Well, what the problem is, is that we as humans tend to keep score. I will love her if, I will respect him if. And what we have to realize is that in, Psalms, just our, in Ephesians, just a few verses higher, it says, in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Your submission isn't dependent on them. Right. Your obedience is not dependent on them. Your obedience is dependent on you can I tell you that when you stand before God someday, he's not going to come back. And you, well, if my wife would have or my husband would have, he's going to go, no, what did you do? Your walk with me is individual. Are you going to walk in obedience? You need to know your role. Number two, who you are amplifies who they are. Who you are amplifies who they are the curious fact of our value vows. And it has this phrase in it, for better or for worse. How many have discovered that in your relationship, in your marriage, you see the really good, but you also see the really bad? How many have discovered in your relationship that sometimes your spouse can bring out the very best in you, and sometimes the very worst comes out? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says this that our job is to make, the husband's job is to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. The purpose of marriage, again, is to reflect the ultimate marriage. This concept of the church and Christ. And I think what happens many times, especially in men, is Jesus is saying, you are my bride to the church. And you're going, I'm not the bride, I'm the groom. And Jesus is going, no, you're my bride. And it becomes this power trip in our lives. And what God is wanting to do is going, no, I want to present to myself a bride, the church, the body of Christ, as someone who is without spot or wrinkle. Jesus is looking for and preparing a bride of purity and vibrancy. Marriage could be said to this, two best friends helping each other become more like Jesus. How many became more like Jesus this week in good and bad? I love and hate the passage of Scripture in Proverbs where it says iron sharpens iron. How many know what happens when iron goes against iron? Sparks happen, right? It rubs off the rough edges in your life. It, it polishes. There's abrasiveness that's there. Marriage brings out the best in you, but it also brings out the worst in you. I go back to when I was in grade school and my cousin John would come over and spend the night. And, man, we would have so much fun doing Legos and whatever it was. And we would get the next morning like going, dude. I don't want you to go home. My mom's going, well, no, you can't. She can't stay here tonight. And I'm like, can I stay at your house? And so I go spend the night at his house. And that happens like two or three times. And then by the time the third morning, fourth morning wakes up, you're going, ah, I hate you. Get out of my life. Anybody feel that way sometimes? Can I tell you, when you talk about friends like that, that's marriage times a thousand. The honeymoon happens, and you wake up in the morning, regardless of bad breath and bedhead. You're the most beautiful woman in my life. Three years later, it wears off, doesn't it? Go on, honey, you need to brush your tooth. Mm, Don't, yeah, kiss me there, not. mm. If you're still in the middle of all that, love is blissful, then hey, you haven't gotten to the rough parts yet. The rough parts that are good things, right? Why? Because God said marriage was a blessed thing. God said it's a good thing that a husband would find a spouse. It's not good that man would dwell alone. God said it's good. Not only is it good, it is a God thing. God ordained it. But he also knew that it was going to be a process in our lives, just as it reveals all the bad parts, it also reveals the best about you, and it also develops the best in you. We don't look at it this way and don't always want to see it, but can I tell you that your spouse, don't go, well, yeah, this is what I am in your life. Your spouse is a sanctifier for you. Your spouse in your life, they're good and they're bad and they're ugly is going to be a sanctifier for your good and your bad and your ugly. And the purpose when we come to marriage is not that we are there to fix our spouse. It's not our job to fix them. Can I tell you? It's our job and your purpose to discover how to bring out the best in your spouse. How to call that out. Many times we don't realize that in this megaphone of our marriage, this megaphone of our home. Number three, the platform of influence is parenthood. Remember the statement when you were in grade school? Kevin and Rhonda sitting in a tree. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. First comes, then comes, then comes. There we go. Hey, you guys got it. Can I tell you, that's the process of marriage. It's the process of life. But the greatest platform that you have of influence on this planet The greatest influence that Kevin has on this planet is not a platform that I stand on. It's not a platform that I get to speak to hundreds of people every single week. It's a platform that God used me and that I invested in two humans in my life. Just by the amount of time that you spend with your child, you have a platform of influence. When you become a parent, you have around-the-clock care, access into this little human's life. If the cry of your heart is for God to use you, then make a stinking difference at home. Amen. Quit trying to be famous in the world and try to get back home and make an impo- influence and an impact in your kids' life. Amen. Many of you come back and go, well, my kids are grown. Don't, don't step back from your responsibility. It may look different. At 3 a.m. when your baby is crying, you have a platform. If you're a mom or a dad, you have a megaphone in your hand, not just to that child, but to the world. You have a privilege of imparting God's love when you don't feel like it. You have a privilege of nurturing when you're tired and exhausted. You have a privilege to honor your spouse so that your kids can see you honor your spouse. You have a privilege to instruct in righteousness. You have a privilege to pour morals into their life. You have a privilege to teach right behaviors. You have a privilege to shape society with the individual in your home. So good. And whether you realize it or not when you have kids, your megaphone is always on. Everything you, they hear and everything they see, their're parents. They absorb. They're always listening. They watch what you do. Do you give your first and best to God in the morning, to His Word, and to prayer? Do you give your first and best to God with your finances? They're watching and listening. They see how you spend your time. They see how you spend your money. They see how you resolve conflict in your marriage or with others. They see how you establish rhythms in your life. They see how you watch TV, what you watch on TV. They hear what, and see how you talk about God and his bride. They see how you participate and talk about the church and his body. They see what, you're, what you prioritize. They learn how to be a spouse from you and your spouse. They learn relationship from the relationships you have and what you build. They learn respect by how you respect others. If you want to make an impact in the world, start at home. Start at home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says, Impress them on your children. And I'm not going to get too far into it because I'll steal Trenton's sermon, but it's about the Word of God. But can I tell you that with our, who we are, we're to impress that upon our children we're to talk about them, we're to sit at home, we're to walk along the road when you you lie down, when you get up, meaning that it's a full-time job. There's no moment off when you have children. The megaphone is always on. And the reality is this, the harsh reality, is you can't cram for your child to turn 18 tomorrow. You can't stay up all night studying if you've not planted the seeds, if you've not nurtured the seeds, if you've not built upon a foundation. Can I tell you, at 18, you're gonna just be on the mercy of God. What you have to realize about olive shoots and the writer in Psalms talks about is olive shoots grow, grow very slowly. I think about this illustration, all of you, it's just like, I am Groot. Where's my little slide up here? There we are. Can I tell you that you have a lot of I am Groots in in your home? There's a lot of different stages in your home, and it's a slow-growing process. Number four, your family is a megaphone. And I include this today because I want to honor this segment of individuals that are in our community. Number four, being single isn't a monologue. Oftentimes we think of a monologue as someone sitting on a platform and telling their story. I want you to realize today whether you are, if you're a single here by choice, if you're a single here as a result of season, if you're a single by pain, that you are not in a monologue. You are still part of a community. You're still valuable. You have something to offer God has given you this megaphone called singleness. And many times people will come back and go, well, I'm limited. No, you're enabled. Can I tell you as we step back and we can compare, and which we as humans try to do, but reality is God goes, there are some that are going to be married and there's some that are going to be single. And they're both okay. They're both part of my plan. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that I would like you you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of the world how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you will live, right, live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Can I tell you today, it doesn't come back and go, well, if you're married, your devotion's gone. No, it means that your devotion is divided. There's a uniqueness that God calls people to. And you can, you can hate your singleness, but I want you to look at a man in history who was single, Second to Jesus, he made the greatest impact in the church world today, and his name is Paul. And he had sons of the faith. He had people that he impacted. His life is impacting you and me today, and he was devoted unto God. Number five, your family is a megaphone. And the value of your family, the power of your family, comes from where it's planted. First of all, it needs to be planted in God. and It needs to be founded upon the fear of God. It needs to be founded upon the rock, Christ Jesus. But next to that, it needs to be planted in a community. It needs to be planted in a community. Psalms 27.4, David says this, One thing, everyone say one thing. What's the one thing you woke up with on your mind this morning? What's the one thing that would be a win for February 26th for your day today? David comes and says, the one thing that I care about, the one thing I care about and I'm the king of a nation, I'm the father of, to children. I'm a husband, to wives. He says, the one thing that I desire, the one thing I'm passionate about, the one thing that I ask from the Lord is this, and only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David comes and goes, I don't care about anything else. I want to gaze on your beauty. God, I want to know you. I get this question all the time. I shouldn't say all the time, but often. Pastor Kevin, can I be a Christian and not go to church? I can tell you today that I believe it's possible for you to be a Christian and not go to church. But I'll tell you this. According to many passages of Scripture, I don't know if you can be a successful, thriving Christian without being participating in a church with the body of believers. Why? Because God ordained you to be part of something, something bigger than yourself. He never created you to be isolated and alone. What I realize is this, we must be connected to the things that God is connected to. Jack Hayford, back in the day, he has since passed and went to heaven, but he says that God's eyes are on his house and his heart is in the house. Think about that. If you want to be where God's heart is, this is where you want to be. You want to be with other believers, other followers of Christ. When we look at God's Word, Jesus Christ is passionate about his bride. Jesus Christ is passionate about about his body. Jesus Christ is passionate about community. He's passionate about unity and oneness. He's passionate about his church. He's passionate about making his bride spotless and mature. And if you want to be like Christ, you've got to be passionate about this. You've got to be passionate about the gathering together. Today, as I step, I wrote it in my journal this week. As I look over my life, Can I tell you, I have absolutely zero, zero regrets in serving the Lord. I have zero regrets in going to church week after week after week. I have no regrets over being plugged into the greatest mission that has ever existed. I'm thankful that as a young man, I was sold out to God and I became committed to a community where I was shaped and I was discipled. I'm so thankful that as a single, I was encouraged to serve and to give. I'm so thankful that as a young married man, that I married a woman that would invest into the greatest kingdom that ever was. We impacted young people's lives. And today, as we look at history, we can see that many of them are accountants that love Jesus, business owners that love Jesus, parents that love Jesus, singles that love Jesus, pastors and board members and teachers, and even missionaries all over the world. I have zero regrets about being part of the body of Christ. I'm so thankful that as I married and and had a And became a father and we planted our children and family wholly into the church. I'm thankful today that we were able to watch our kids sleep on a Sunday night in a pew, that our kids grew up in Sunday school and in children's church. I'm so thankful that there are people like you that invested in our children's lives. I'm thankful that our kids encountered God and experienced salvation at a young age. I'm thankful that they encountered the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful that they learned to serve and learned to be resilient in the middle of our crazy schedule. And they learned to be the church. And I'm thankful today that both of my kids are in healthy marriages and they love God and they serve week after week after week. And I'm thankful today that I have two grandkids and more to come that are growing up, being planted once again in the church, in the community. If you were to step back and you were to ask our kids, is the church perfect? They'd come back and go, no, it's not. But can I tell you, I don't want to, I don't want to illuminate all that's bad because the church is the bride of Christ. How would you like it if someone attacked your bride? Today, the family is a megaphone. We have a responsibility to fulfill our roles. We have a responsibility to let who we are to impact who they are. Today, we have a responsibility. The greatest influence in our children's lives is in your home. Singleness is impactful. We need to be planted. I want you to know that as I prayed this week, I knew that this Sermon would cause tension because it caused tension in my life. And you step back and go, God, what about all my failures? But God, I didn't do it all right. And I heard this in my spirit. Can I tell you that God's not alarmed by your failures? God is not alarmed by your failures. As I look back at all the regrets, I made so many mistakes I've made so many mistakes in loving my wife and loving my children. And can I tell you, I've made mistakes in loving my wife this week. But it's not about my failures. God doesn't care. He's going, I just want you to, would you just keep on? We all fall short. And what a great topic for us to even feel shorter. We talk about marriage and children. Today you may be here and you're going I didn't do this right because I suffered abuse and betrayal and abandonment and I ended up divorced. Some of you didn't plant your children in the church and you didn't model honor and faithfulness in serving Christ and now your kids are growing up and all you want to do is hit a rewind button. Maybe today you recognize as a husband that your wife is not a healthy vine. And that comes back to you because you've not nurtured it and you've not cherished it. Wives, maybe you recognize that you haven't loved and respected your husband. You've criticized him, you've not encouraged him. Now he doesn't give you his heart. Wives, that goes back to your role. Children, maybe today you have olive plants that are around your table. Maybe you have an half olive plant. Maybe you have a step olive plant. Maybe you have adopted olive plants. Maybe you have a blended olive plant. Those all bring complication in a culture today that is messed up. But what does God think about all this? Can I tell you that God specializes in special cases. God specializes in mess ups. God chooses to use you and me and he doesn't reduce the value of the home. He doesn't compromise it. He says "No, blessed is the home for all who fear him. Your wife is going to be and your children are going to be and you're going to be able to see your children's children. There's a heritage that's going to be there. He's not going, if you're perfect, he's going, how have you built your home? Joel chapter two, verse 25, and I'm going to close with this. Prophetic, prophetic book. Verse 25 says this, I will repay or I will restore you for the years the locusts have eaten. What I want you to realize about this story in Joel is that Israel was never intended to walk away. Israel was never intended to have locusts eat of their lives and to demolish their countryside. And God is coming to make a promise through Joel, going, even though you've been unfaithful, even though you've made mistakes, even though you have walked away, even though you have been, been adulterous in your relationship with other gods, Even though the locust has come and chewed up and demolished and brought utter destruction to your heritage, as you look back, God comes and says, Israel, he comes and says to you, I will restore what the enemy has created. I will restore. If you will return to me, I will restore it. This morning, we have an opportunity Regardless of where you're at, regardless if you give yourself an A plus because you think you're the perfect parent, or regardless if you give yourself an F or a C, whatever it may be as a husband or a wife, today, God says, you may view yourself rightly or incorrectly, whichever you want to see. But if you'll come to me, I'll restore. I'll restore. Across this room, if you would stand to your feet this morning. I know in my life, in my marriage, in my home, I need God to restore. Why? Because Kevin's flawed and Kevin's broken. Can you discover an area in your life that you need God to restore something? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed across this room, as something comes to your mind that you need God to restore, would you just raise your hand to heaven? something that God needs to restore would you just raise your hand to heaven it's not as unto me it's unto God god today i thank you that you are a god of forgiveness god that you are a god of second and third and fourth and fifth cho- chances god that you are a god that is to be to be scared of but not afraid of that you are a god who is just but god you are also a god who is gracious and filled with mercy and love. And God this morning God, I think of the country of Israel as you were so adamant about all the things. All of these things that you said do not do and they did them in spite of. And yet God, in your goodness, in your mercy, in your graciousness, you say once again if you'll turn to me, I will restore. So God today we come We recognize our failings. God, would you forgive us? God, forgive us. God, forgive us for lack of love. God, forgive us for lack of respect. God, forgive us for not taking a stand where we needed to take a stand. God, forgive us for unkind words. God, forgive us for not focusing where we need to focus. God, forgive us for keeping score. God, forgive us for not mutually submitting regardless of. God, today we need you. And God, in our humility, we come and we say, God, would you restore? God, would you restore? Restore what the enemy has tried to demolish. Restore what seems like lost time. But God, you are faithful. And God, you love our children. God, you love our adult children. God, you love all of these things. God, would you bring them back to you? God, if they have not walked away, but they're not serving you like they should, God, we ask, God, would you help them to do so? God, if our marriages are divided, God, would you unity? God, if, there is, if there's agitation rather than love and respect, God, would you bring the, 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 your iron sharpening iron, and God, bring a reflection of who they are to them? Spirit of God, I pray, would you work in us? God, just like this personal phase is uncomfortable, God, this home phase is uncomfortable. God, it's not just a reflection of me and my, it's a reflection of what we, where we platform you in our homes. And God, before I say amen this morning, I just sense there may be someone watching online or someone that is even in this room today. To go, Pastor Kevin, I've just not done any of it right. Well, I wanted to tell you today that the only way you can do it is be right with God first. If you're here today and you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He's not the Lord of your life, this is a grand idea. Maybe today you've walked away from him and you're in this room. No one's looking around. I just want to, I'm gonna recognize it because I want to pray with you. But if you're here today and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you this morning. If you're online today, it's as simple as repenting before God, it's as simple as saying, God, I'm broken and I need you in my life. God, I wanna build my life on you so I can build my home on you. God, today I pray your blessing upon these families. God, whether they're married, whether they're single, whether they have children, God, whatever season and stage that they're in, whether they're grandparents today, God, I pray your blessing upon them. God, would you anoint them God, anoint them with wisdom. Anoint them with boldness. God, anoint them with the ability to transfer your power to the next generations, I pray. God, give them words to speak. God, give ears for generations to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen, amen. If you're here and you need prayer this morning, our prayer team is coming around the front. Would you let them pray with you? God bless you. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.